Now, there are people with ego problems. Uh, just because we're talking about the preeminence of Christ does not mean that we're talking about an ego issue with him. Uh, narcissists, for example, are actually fun to talk about, but they're not really much fun to deal with. Uh, did you hear about the narcissist, uh, narcissistic cannibal? Uh, he's full of himself. Uh, another one, just trying to wake you up. What does a narcissistic owl say? Me, me, me. That's it. That's good. Here's one. Uh, a doctor diagnosed me uh, with narcissistic personality di- disorder, NPD. That means I'm awesome. <laughs> I like that one. So there's a central aspect of egotism, pride, narcissism, and that's this idea of grandiosity, uh, thinking so highly of oneself as compared to someone else. Uh, we all can think that we're better than we are at something. I like Garrison Keeler. You ever heard Garrison Keeler? Garrison Keeler uh, was talking about Lake uh, Wobegon. Uh, y'all know Garrison Keeler? I see him two heads shaking. The rest of you going, who's Garrison Keeler? So Garrison Keeler, uh, he talks about uh, all the kids in this uh, make-believe place called Lake Wobegon. And all the kids in Lake Wobegon are above average. That's the same idea, being better than everybody else kind of thing. Uh, Emily, and I'm going to struggle with this name, Gurjalava and uh, Lu Ya Zhang in January of 2016 uh, were writing an article for Personality and Social Psychology uh, Bulletin, and they were discussing a study that they had done on um, uh, metadata analysis. You know what that is? Basically, it's not really a new study. It's taking other people's studies and doing a metadata analysis on everybody else's study. And their conclusion was this. They concluded that narcissists tend to focus on having an outsized impact on the world around them. They want others to know them for their individual ability rather than their ability to work with a team. And so you will find that people who have a high ego tend to not play well with others, basically. Uh, But we're talking about Jesus now. Uh, Jesus is not an egotist. Jesus Christ, however, is preeminent. He's the tippy top, if you will, you know. How is that? Well, for one reason he is at the top is because he preexisted. He existed before the little baby Jesus was born. Uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, a really great text on this. It says, But you, Bethlehem, uh, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. A lot of people miss the last part of the sentence which says, Who's going forth? Talking about this one that would be born in Bethlehem. Who's going forth are from of old... From everlasting. So that means that Jesus had existed before he was Jesus on earth forever. Uh, 
put it in a different way, and I want to show a few scriptures on this subject. Uh, one of the passages will be John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then it says, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So not only did he exist from before the beginning, because he created the beginning, he existed before the beginning, but all things that were created were created through him. A few more scriptures on this point. John 1 verses 14 and 15 says, And the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh, so he existed previously, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. This is a little confusing unless you know what we're talking about now. He who comes after me is preferred before me. Why? For he was before me. Now we know from Luke chapter 1 verse 36 that John the baptizer was actually six months older than Jesus. That means he was conceived six months before Jesus was conceived. And yet John himself says that he existed before me. Which is again affirming this idea. John 8 and 58 says, Jesus said, most assuredly I say, before Abraham was, I am. Yes. So more scripture to this point, so that you don't doubt it. John 8, 58, John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The significance of the life is not just the source of eternal life because he provided salvation, but rather he is the life that has always existed. Uh, John 17 verse 5 says, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So how long that was? Well, that's from everlasting. Uh, John 17 verse 24 says, You loved me before the foundation of the world. So if, if you think this is a minor concept in scripture, it is not. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, for example, it's a really great text. Hebrews chapter 1, and I know it gets a little small up there. I can't read all of this. Uh, I'll pick up in verse 8, but let, let me see if I can give you the, the body of what he's talking about here. Uh, there are people that believe Jesus was an angel that came to the earth. The point of Hebrews chapter 1 is to teach that's not so. What Hebrews chapter 1 is saying that he was the son of God, but he was never an angel of God. That he was God. Verse 8 says, to the son he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now some people thought that that text was to the father. That was to the son. In verse 10 he says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. So this is the Father talking to the Son and saying, You, O Lord, God the Father, calling Jesus the Son, Lord, You, O Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. 
In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 3, uh, moving along to there, Hebrews 7 and verse 3, it's an interesting parallel between Jesus and Melchizedek. The interesting statement isn't that he is, even though it's true that he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, that's taught in Psalm 110, 1 through 4, uh, Genesis 14, 18 through 20, if you want to know about Melchizedek. The significant thing, though, is that little sentence in Hebrews 7 and verse 3, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. Now, he's talking about Melchizedek, but he's using Jesus as the parallel here. And that is Melchizedek, there's no record of his beginning of days or his end of life. And that way, him being like that, made him like the Son of God, who didn't have beginning of days, nor will he ever have end of life. In First uh, John 1, verses 1 through 4, there's a great text. That which was from the beginning, that uses the word that about Jesus, because it's going to not talk about him like a person, it's going to talk about him like he is a a life, a thing of life. And that's the reason it changes that. That which was from the beginning, the word of life, almost like a thing, but he's not a thing. Now verse 2 says, the life, the life was manifested. So he, he transcends words that we try to use when we talk about a person. Because he's more than a person. He is the life. Uh, if you have life right now, your life... Well, obviously you do. You wouldn't be hearing me, right? So that life flows from him. Okay? And we're talking about the son now. We're not talking about the father. We're talking about the son. So you say, well, this is obviously talking about the father. No, we're talking about the son. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested to us. Now, I'm not saying that the, the, the father isn't the life as well. The father is the life. But in this text, it is making the point that that life was with the Father and then it was manifest to us. Talking about the apostles there. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, carrying this same idea of, of existing always. Revelation 1 verses 17 and 18, Jesus says in that text, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives, I was dead, and I am alive forevermore. Now to be the first, that means there was nothing before him. And you say, well, there was the father. Well, no, back then it was God and the word. He was not his father yet. Okay. In Revelation 22 verse 13 says, I am, this is Jesus again speaking. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the A and the Z putting it in English, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So Jesus isn't something below the Father. Jesus is co-God with the Father. He is the Word of God that was made flesh and dwelt among us that we beheld His glory. Okay, so that's why when we talk about the preeminence of Jesus, we're not talking about a good philosopher that taught a lot of lovely things, but he was just another guy like you and me. He's just an apostle of the Lord, if you will, as the Muslims say. He's just a man sent from God. No, 
The man child Jesus had a beginning. But the being that Jesus was had no beginning. So Paul gives us five truths in the doctrine of the preeminence of Christ and how it's declared in Colossians chapter 1. And when we want to walk through it, you may think, what's significant of this? Well, let's put it this way. I didn't write it. Did you write it? So I'm thinking it came from somebody bigger than me, okay? So I'm thinking if you spend a whole chapter on it and you find it boring, your attention span needs to change, okay? Because God gave us a chapter on it. That means he wants us to look at it. He wants us to think about it and realize the significance of who Jesus really was. Don't you think that's what it meant? So now just think about him as some good guy that wrote a lot of good stuff. He's the life, right? All right, so let's do that. There's the lesson. We can go home now. I'll walk through it as quick as I can, okay? I'm not going to take long. Uh, Colossians 1, 1 through 12 was read in your hearing. Can I point you to a couple of things about how the preeminence was to be proclaimed? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, or a missionary, if you will, one sent by God, literally. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself tagged Paul and said, I want you. Right? Acts chapter 9. I want you to go and teach it. By the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So he was appointed to preach this gospel that Christ was preeminent. Drop down how well they had done that by then. Verse 6, which has come to you, talking about the word of the truth of the gospel. Verse 5, verse 6, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. So the grace of God was being proclaimed to the entire world. And that great grace is so significant because of who we're talking about here. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Since the Lord Jesus is the center of this, I won't go into it any deeper than that, but simply saying that Christ's preeminence is being proclaimed by Paul here, and it's a part of our duty to proclaim that he's not just a good guy. And we need to quit letting the world tell us that. He is God. He is God in flesh. He's not a God. He's God. He's not a Lord. He's the Lord. And he has existed eternally. He's just manifest to us on earth for a time. Second little trick. Why did it go backwards? Oh, I went. Because it's already there. <laughs> Look at verses 13 and 14. Read with me if you're there. Verse 13, 14. He hath delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of the son of his love. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Why is Christ preeminent? He is preeminent in redemption because the Father did not die for you. None of the angels died for you. No human on earth made you right before God. No one except Him made the way possible. None. We don't talk about anybody else. There is no hope in any other. 
It is only in the Lord Jesus we have hope and through His blood. And when we talk about His blood, we're not trying to turn it into a bloody religion, but it is covered in blood. And that means that the life is in the blood. He died. He gave His life. He bled out for you and me. You only have redemption because the life, the God, the Word of life came down here and bled and died for you to justify you, to make you right in the eyes of the same God who died for you. He made the path. So Christ's preeminence is in his redemption. The third thing is Christ's preeminence is in his creation. I don't know why, but there are many people that don't seem to understand this. And that is the world was created by Christ directly. Now let me explain to you The Father made the world. But He did not make the world the way you may think. He did not make the world aloof from the Son or the Word of life. He made the world through the Word of life. So the world was made through Christ. That is the teaching all through the New Testament. If you don't get that, it's a critical concept. Beginning in verse 15, in this text it says, He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. This is the first time God's actually showed any image of Himself on earth. And it's not the emphasis on what He physically looked like, but yet it was His display, His manifestation. The firstborn of all creation, that does not mean He was born of the Father, because He had always existed. In this case, it means the man Jesus was born, but it really is pointing to the idea of the concept of being firstborn in priority. Most of the time, the word firstborn is not used to refer to the idea of the first child born. In this case, it applies both ways because Jesus was born and God had never had a child before that. And so he fits that bill. But the other sense in which he's firstborn is that he's first priority. And so it says he's the firstborn over all creation, not from creation, but over all creation, which is a whole different thing too. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. That means he cannot be a part of the creation because he made all the creation. You can't make something if you're the thing that's being made. It's not possible. You can't do it. So for by him all things were created that are in heaven that are on earth, visible and invisible. That covers it all, folks. Whether thrones or dominions. So you say, well, wait, we're talking about Jesus in heaven on the throne. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created, listen to this statement, through Him and for Him. Verse 17, and He is before all things. Now that's talking about order. Order of priority and order of existence as well. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. Everything is held together. Study all you want quantum physics. I love studying that stuff. But let me tell you something. Something down at the bottom of everything is the God of heaven and earth that holds it all together. Everything consists of him. So that's simply saying that the preeminence is in creation itself. He is the preeminent one over all creation for he made you and me. 
You were made by Jesus. Now, Jesus did not exist. Therefore, you were made by the Word of God who then became flesh and would be named Jesus. But the Word spoke man into existence. Let us make man in our image. That is the Word of God speaking forth and then you were created. That's why he's preeminent. Number four, is that up there? Four? Four is up there. Good, that's good. Christ's preeminence in his institution. What we're talking about here is the church, the kingdom of God. Whatever you want to refer to it is the people on earth that are following him. Whatever you want to discuss it. In this text, it refers to it predominantly as the body and the church. And I'll just point to a couple of passages here that does that. Verse 18 says, and he, that is Jesus, or the word of God, and he, God, is the head of the body the church. That's why it's called the church of God in Acts 20 and verse 28 when it says, and he purchased the church with his blood. And that's why it's called the church of God and he purchased the church with his own blood. I don't know if you've ever noticed Acts 20 and verse 28 and how it says that. That's why it says it that way because he is God and this is the church of God. Okay? You may not like that. You may want to always say the church of Christ. But this is, first and foremost, and used predominantly in the scriptures, not church of Christ, but it's predominantly used, the church of God. Okay? That's more biblical, actually. I'm not saying that the other's not biblical. It's just more biblical because there's more Bible on it. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And of course he does over the body. Now, if you drop down to about verse 23, you'll pick up this statement. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you've heard, which was preached uh, to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. That's referring back to what we were talking about a minute ago. Verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, For the sake of his body, which is the church. Exactly. So Christ has preeminence over the most important institution on earth, which is the kingdom of God or the church of the living God. Right? So none of us have preeminence there. He does. And it's a critical understanding. Number five, the last idea that he carries with here is Christ's preeminence in his incarnation. Now, in this text, I'm not talking about his coming into the flesh. Now, even though that's absolutely true, Christ became flesh. I'm not talking about that moment. I'm talking about another moment that's being discussed in this text. Let's read the whole thing here. I'm going to do 25 through 29, and I hope you catch it. But I'll come back and I'll show you. Verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden. What mystery is that? From ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here it is, which is Christ In you, the hope of glory. You pick up on what the big thing is now? The significance is that statement right there. Verse 28, him we preach, 
warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Again, mentioning it again. Verse 29, to this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. What is this incarnation? This is not the incarnation when Jesus became a baby. This is the incarnation that when we become children of God, we are baptized into Christ, that Christ comes into us. The Lord Jesus incarnates in my life, that I become different because God is in me. The Holy Spirit is in me. God is in me. His word is in me. His truth is in me. His life is in me. I have eternal life because his life was manifest in you and I. That's the the significance. So the doctrine of Christ's preeminence declared is simply this, and that is that we are to proclaim his preeminence everywhere we go. Do not let people just say, Jesus is just a good teacher. It's not so. He is God and he is preeminently God, not a subordinate God. And he is the one who gave us redemption. No other one, no other name given among men whereby we must be saved other than Christ Jesus. And it is he that created the world that we live in. In fact, he created you and I. We would not exist apart from the Lord Jesus. And it is his institution the kingdom of God, the church of the living God that we are a part of and we are the ones who are now incarnate God in us. may sound like simple stuff, but Paul thought it was important and the Holy Spirit thought it was important. Maybe you thought, oh, that's not a big deal. That's some big stuff right there. That's some big stuff. It's comforting to realize that we are in Christ. Amen. Uh, and he's preeminent over all. The danger of the preeminence of Christ, though there is actually a danger in this, and I need to share this really quick. I want you to catch an idea that you might not have caught before, and that is that you can turn the preeminence of Christ into a negative. Well, how could you do that? Well, Philip Yancey talks about this. He talks about, uh, in a book called Rumors of Another World, and he's talking about a prize-winning Irish poet whose name was Evangeline, not Jolene, Evangeline Patterson. Okay, that was her name. And she had written something many years ago, and she had summed up her life. And this is what she had said. And I'm afraid that a lot of Christians have walked down this path. All right? This is what she said. I was brought up in a Christian environment where because God had been given preeminence, nothing else was allowed to be important. And that's when you take the preeminence of the Lord and you turn it to a negative, where nothing else has import. But years later, she changed. Philip Yancey went on to say that Evangeline Patterson discovered her distortion as she got older, and she corrected it in a later writing when she wrote this. I have broken through to the position that because God exists, everything has significance. Because God is preeminent, everything matters. That's where you need to be. 
since he invested so much in this and in you. It isn't, well, nothing else matters. You know, it doesn't matter if you do this. It doesn't matter if you do that. It doesn't matter what the church building looks like. It doesn't matter what you do in church. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you... It, the only thing, as long as you got Jesus, that's all that matters. No, 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 no. What it does is it makes everything matter. If he's preeminent overall, then those things matter to him. Otherwise, he's preeminent over nothing. Are you following me? If he's preeminent over all, then everything matters. Otherwise, you've got him preeminent over nothing. That means everything about you, everything about your life, everything about the world, everything about everybody in the world matters to him. It may not matter to you, but it matters to him because he's preeminent over it. So properly understood, the preeminence of Christ makes everything matter. Does everything matter to you? Think about that just a second. Does everything matter to you? Or have you got it skewed too? Have you thought, well, only thing that matters is getting right with Jesus. Well, Jesus thinks it all matters. Otherwise, he's preeminent over nothing. He thinks you matter. Are you nothing? I don't think so, do you? He's preeminent over it all. So apparently, you are of great value. And so is everything else that he made. Apparently, he's proud of what he made. Why should he be ashamed of it, right? So he wants you to rejoice in it too, because it's what he made. So how do you respond? You respond this way. I will hear, I will believe, I will repent, I will confess, I will be baptized, I'll live for the Lord, and I'll live in such a way that I don't try to make fun or belittle or put down anything or anybody. I try to treat everything as it mattered because he's Lord over that too. Changes your perspective, doesn't it? So if you're here tonight and want to give your life to the Lord, realize the Lord cares about it all and he cares about you. Won't you come if you need to while we stand and while we sing?